Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Last Moment 3. Carmignola felt overwhelmed. He had heard about the famed Mahakam Mountains, and the dwarves, gnomes, and halflings that lived within it, but he never expected to gain entrance to the reclusive kingdom, nor did he expect what he saw when he entered Crag Ross. Size. There was nothing else that came to mind when first entering the mountain. Carmignola assumed there was a ceiling, but he could not see it. Mounted on the walls, behind each evenly spaced brazier, were large and polished looking glasses. The brazier's flames caught in the reflection and better illuminated the stone halls. And still, the halls were so large that darkness crept in all around them. The doctor blinked, willing his eyes to adjust to the dark. Dwarves, halflings, and gnomes were used to such low light, he had heard. The rest of them would have to make do. Otto meowed inside of Carmignola's bag. Carmignola opened the bag and patted Otto's head, thinking that cats had no difficulty with low light either. He glanced back at Zevo before leaving the trader's quarter. Witchers didn't have that difficulty either, he supposed. Then Skedrick led Jeremiah and him to the diplomat's quarter. Skedrick pointed them to the Redanian camp, signified by its red and gold coloring. Same rules apply, Skedrick said. You need an escort if you wish to leave the quarter. Best of luck in your political business. He left them with that. Carmignola looked at Jeremiah, shrugged, and headed to the camp. So what business do you have with Redania? the craftsman asked. That's my concern, not yours, Carmignola said, a little sharper than he had intended. He felt the weight of Coldenoptel's letter in his pocket. The Nilfgaardian diplomat had entrusted him to deliver it to the Redanian delegation, and made it clear discretion was needed. Jeremiah, thankfully, did not pursue the inquiry any further. He simply nodded and walked off to speak with a Redanian soldier. Carmignola hesitated for a moment. The Redanians had a reputation as a stern and proud people who suffered no fools. And why wouldn't they? The Kingdom of Redania had been the dominant political and military power in the north for the past decade. North of Temeria and east of Kedwin, Redania had escaped the worst ravages of the last two northern wars. Its king, Radovid the Stern, was a firm believer in the Church of the Eternal Fire, so they suffered sorcerers and mutants less than they suffered fools. Carmignola was glad he was neither a sorcerer nor a mutant. Whether he was a fool to attempt what he had been planning, only time would tell. With a deep breath, he headed towards an occupied shop in the Redanian camp, and one of the soldiers, wearing a tabard depicting a crowned white eagle on a red background, held out a mailed hand. Carmignola explained that he had an urgent letter for the head of the Redanian delegation. 
the guard sniffed and went inside the shop. A large woman stepped out a few moments later. Her face was heavily made up, with blushed cheeks and rouged lips and purple eyeshadow. Her robe was loose-fitted and comfortable, as if she was preparing to go to bed. But she looked quite alert when she chirped at Carmignola. Hello, I hear you have a message for the head of the Redanian delegation. Might I ask where you're from? I am Carmignola. He paused, deciding now was as good a time as any to start his new identity. He had the documents of nobility forged in Kalmec, after all. Carmignola Magvild of Tamaria. It's an honor to meet the head of the Redanian delegation. Eh? the woman said. She shook her head, and a few dark hairs loosed from her bun and fell onto her forehead. You're mistaken. I'm not the head of the delegation. I'm Celine Matep, aide to Lady Olivia of Tredegor. Ah, my apologies. I thought... Otto meowed and poked his head out of Carmignola's bag. Celine's face brightened immediately, and she picked the cat up. Hello, beautiful. What's your name? Otto. Celine nodded, cooed at Otto, then handed him to the guard. Find some food for the nice cat, would you? Follow me, Carmignola. I feel like taking a walk. Celine strode away from the tents, and Carmignola scrambled to follow her. They ringed the circular diplomat's quarter before heading down another large hallway leading to God's new wear. The two Mahakam defenders guarding the hall stopped them. Celine rolled her eyes and showed a dull gray ring on her finger. The defenders nodded and let them pass. They walked down an expansive, shadowed hallway. Pairs of Mahakam defenders stood periodically throughout the hall. It would have been easy to mistake them for statues. It didn't make Carmignola feel safer. Who is this letter from? Celine said when they were some distance away from the diplomat's quarter. Are you with the Temerian delegation? Uh, no. I'm not with any delegation. I'm just a traveling doctor. And a messenger, I suppose. The letter is from... Well, it may be better if you just looked. Carmignola handed Teld's letter over. He felt relief the moment it left his hand, as if a great stone had been lifted off his chest. Celine frowned at the letter's seal, then broke it and opened the letter. Are you sure you can... All of Lady Olivia's letters go through me first, anyway, Celine snapped. Now hush, I'm reading. Carmignola leaned against a cold stone pillar, and that was when he realized Celine had led him to a shadowed corner of the hallway, away from any passerbys. Eventually, Celine folded the letter and put it back in the envelope. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. I'll make sure Lady Olivia sees it. Carmignola nodded. This was his moment to work his way into the good graces of the nobility, and he couldn't muck it up. I suppose I shouldn't ask what it says. No, you shouldn't, but I thank you nonetheless. I'll make sure you're generously paid, of course. Try another route, then, Carmignola thought. I would accept your reward with thanks, but I was wondering if anyone in the Redanian delegation had need for my service. As a doctor. Celine blinked. Then she asked, quite suddenly, Where have you come from, Carmignola of Tamaria? Um, recently from Kalmec. I've been fleeing the war. And where do you plan on going? You must know our stay amongst the Mahakam dwarves is temporary. I'll admit I haven't given it much consideration, given recent circumstances, Carmignola lied. He paused for a moment. Though once it's safe, perhaps the city of Oxenfurt... I studied medicine there, you know. Celine nodded, then narrowed her eyes at the doctor. And that was when Carmignola realized he couldn't see any Mahakam defenders from their shadowy corner of the hall. Realized he couldn't see anyone at all. He shivered, though there was no breeze. What are you looking to gain from your employment with Redania? Celine asked. Look him in the eyes and tell me the honest truth. Celine smiled brightly in the shadows, 
I can tell a lot about a man from the look in his eyes. Carmagnola's heart thumped, and his mouth felt dry. He couldn't pinpoint why, but Celine's sharp green eyes frightened him. I just wish to make some coin while I'm here. That's all. I'll need supplies for the road ahead, and I'm low on funds. The Redanian's stare pierced Carmagnola for a moment longer. Then she looked away. He breathed a shaky sigh of relief. Easy now. Breathe, Celine said. You'll stay with us as our resident doctor. Paid on commission whenever a case comes in. Lady Olivia will give her approval. Follow me. I'll set you up with a cot. Celine grinned and walked back into the lighted hall. Carmagnola sighed again and followed. He would have to take Celine at her word for now. He now had an in with the nobility. That was most important. Next, he would have to stay with the delegation long enough to convince them he was a member of House Magvild. That shouldn't be too hard, as Carmagnola had spent enough time around that family in Tamaria. Then, he'd have to make sure word of this new noble spread around Mahakam. Then... But you'll have to be careful, Carmagnola thought. He looked down at his slightly trembling hands. Very careful. 4. Zevo tired of waiting. He told himself he'd give it another three minutes, the length of time to finish the dwarven pint of meat he'd just ordered, before he left. Surely someone in the trader's quarter was looking to hire a witcher. That's what Zevo had hoped when he put up a bulletin saying his services were available, and that any interested parties can find him at the Crag Ross Trader's Quarter Inn and Tavern. It was the first thing he did when he settled into Mahakam the night before. Zevo didn't expect any responses yet, of course, but was surprised when he checked the board the next morning. A simple message was scrawled across the bulletin, in large, cursive script. Meet me at the tavern at noon. Zevo could hardly believe his fortune. He had heard, after all, that the Mahakam dwarves were tidy in all things, but it seemed there was at least one wayward monster that had escaped their grasp. But as noon came and went, Zevo felt his good fortune waning. He had had plenty of time to appreciate the tasteful mountain pastoral painting that hung above the entrance, and the less tasteful dented shield and rusted sword that hung over the bar. The patrons, few that there were at this hour, looked like bored merchants simply killing time, or waiting for something to happen. Zevo could relate. Thirty minutes passed, and the witcher was ready to give up, after he finished his mead. He was halfway through the dwarven pint when a man sat at his table. Zevo didn't notice him before because he looked so unassuming. Slight, balding, stooped shoulders, a perpetual hangdog look. Certainly not a man who could pose a threat to Zevo. Still, he sat. He looked Zevo up and down and said, You're the witcher? I am. Your name are... Zevo Kavir? It is. What's yours? Lottom of Sidorus. This slight man looked a far cry from the hardy, seafaring people of that port kingdom. Lottom looked up. Wait a moment, please. He exited the inn, leaving a confused and suspicious Zevo. The witcher wasted no time draining his pint and heading towards the back of the tavern, near the storeroom. He thought of a few scenarios that could happen, and decided few of them had positive outcomes. So he waited, watching to see who would come in next. The front door was kicked in, as the witcher half expected. A large, brown-skinned woman stepped inside, a red cap jauntily placed on her head. She wore a loose white shirt, black pants, and worn leather boots. She glanced around the inn and bellowed, Where the fuck is Zevo of Kavir? The witcher could hardly believe his eye. For a brief moment, he was drawn back to his time at sea over twenty years ago, feeling his stomach both grumble and churn with each rollicking wave as he lied on his back and stared up at the unforgiving sun. All fear dissipated, and Zevo stepped back out. Looks like you found me, Isabel. The woman turned and squinted at the witcher. 
Her face broke into a grin, and she charged at Zevo, wrapping her arms tightly around him. It is you, Isabel nearly shouted. When I heard there was a red-haired witcher in Mahakam, I didn't dare to think, but here you are. Here I am. Why are you here? It's a long way from Sidorus, or the sea. Isabel broke the embrace and gave a mock bow. You, dear friend, happen to be looking at the head of the Sidarian delegation for this summit. Zevo raised an eyebrow. You? So surprised. I am a duchess, after all. It's not that, Zevo said. I just thought you didn't care for politics. Isn't that why you took to the sea in the first place? Well, yes. But time creates wisdom for us all, or some such nonsense. Lottam, be so kind to get another round for us. Lottam of Sidorus nodded and walked to the bar. Isabel grinned at the witcher. He's my aide. Authority does have some perks. She's barely changed, Zevo thought. When he first met Isabel, she was a teenaged pirate captain trying to outrun her duty. She looked a little older and a little rounder, sure, but that same brightness in her voice remained. It gave Zevo a momentary sense of deja vu. He wondered if Isabel felt the same thing. They sat at the table and Zevo asked, So you have a monster you need killed? Cods, I hope not, Isabel laughed. I have no work for you this time, Zevo. I just wanted to see if it was actually you. Besides, you still owe me a debt, remember? Three years of service, if I recall. So anything I ask of you, you should be free. Zevo nearly sputtered on the mead Lottam brought. He wiped foam from his mustache and said, That's not how I recall it. And how exactly do you recall it? Isabel's grin still retained the fierceness Zevo remembered. The grin of a pirate captain. I seem to recall you alone in a drift at sea, with no food or water. I recall being unfortunate enough to stumble upon you at the same time as Captain Stom, that black-bearded bastard. You offered your services for one year to whoever would save you. We bartered it to three, outran Stom's ship, and went off to find that fabled Skelligan treasure. Isabel paused and toyed with her mug. Pity it didn't work out. What's three years of service, with two decades of interest anyway? Zevo stared at the pastoral painting and pretended not to hear. Isabel laughed and threw an arm across Zevo's shoulder. Oh, stop looking so grim. I see time hasn't eroded your charm. Enough about all that. Let's just drink and chat, like old times. Laudam cleared his throat. Actually, Duchess Isabel, there is work that needs to be done before the feast tonight. Ah, thank you for the reminder. Isabel turned to the Witcher. Have you been invited to the feast? What feast? A celebration by High Thane Brewer Hoog, to kick off the summit. It would be such a bore if I had to brave it on my own. But if you were to join... Zevo grunted. I wasn't invited. Well, how would you like to be an official guest of honor with Sidorus? Milady, Lottam said. I don't think that would be... Quite right, Lottam. Where are my manners? Your friends are invited as well. Isabel scratched her chin. I assume you came here with friends? All your old stories seem to involve various and sundry companions. What did you call them back then? Camp followers, Zevo said. He couldn't help but smile. And as it turns out, I'm here with four others. Well, friends of Zevro of Kavir are friends of Isabella of Vartberg. Lottam, please request five leaden rings from our dwarven host, in addition to the work that must be done today. You're more than capable of handling it, right? Lottam spoke through a clenched jaw. I am, milady. Then I leave today's work to you. If anything pressing occurs before the feast, you know where to find me. Here, milady. I've always valued your insight, Lottam. Go on now, lots to be done. Lottam excused himself with as much dignity as he could muster. When he left, Isabel ordered another round. Zevo felt the two dwarven pints starting to loosen his mind. The Mahakam dwarves really were the finest brewers. And the finest crafters, he said. What was that? Isabel asked. 
Zevo shook his head, surprised he spoke aloud. Nothing. This mead is fine. On that, we agree. To wonder any of these delegations have gotten work done when there's prime beer to be had. Isabel eyed Zevo's dwarven cloak and armor. Do you, um, do you have anything finer to wear for the feast? No. Thank the gods, neither do I. Another round, please, and be sure to keep them coming. Isabel gave that captain's grin. We gotta make sure this is a night we don't remember. 5. Ethramel explored the trader's quarter with as much interest as a cat near an ink pot in parchment, which is to say none except in how it can be destroyed. The sorcerer felt aimless, had ever since Kalmak. As much as he didn't like to admit it, Shenny's parting words had stuck with him. Go then, traitor. Leave your scars elsewhere, if you even can. But don't show your face to us any more. At first, the words made him angry. How dare that Scoia'tael call Ethramel a traitor to the unsaid? Those thoughts quickly soured and turned to gross parody. It was amusing when he thought about it. A squirrel berating a former member of the Vryhead Brigade because he wasn't committed to the cause enough. Now, though, those words evoked nothing but a strange listlessness. Emptiness, even. But don't show your face to us anymore. Ethermel didn't plan to show his face to them, because he didn't have a plan to do anything. He had little interest in Mahakam other than the shelter it provided from the war. He had visited once or twice before, during the world-famous ale festival that occurred every 25 years. But the whole damned mountain was so suspicious that Ethramel wasn't allowed to leave the trader's quarter without a specific lead ring. The Mahakam defenders were polite, but quite firm on this point when he tried to head to the diplomat's quarter. He regretted not joining Jeremiah and Carmignola the night before. But what would he do in the diplomat's quarter anyway? Avoid Redania. That was for certain. Those superstitious pricks would imprison him for being an elf, then execute him for being a sorcerer. Become friendly with Sidorus, maybe? That sounded dull. Those merchants only care about trade and the sea, two topics that bored Ethramel. As for the kingdoms of Tamaria and Edirne, well, both kingdoms were currently being invaded by Nilfgaard, and both kingdoms had had their kings assassinated in the last year by the Lodge of Sorceresses, so they probably wouldn't trust anyone with both Nilfgaardian and magical affiliations. So, on second thought, it was best he didn't join Jeremiah and Carmignola. Not that it made the trader's quarter more bearable. Like a rat in a maze, Ethermel thought as he circled around the trader's quarter for the third time. My whole life I've been a rat in a maze. Trying to navigate it has done me nothing. I need to break the damned maze. But he kept circling around the same thought as surely as he circled the trader's quarter. How? More power, of course, Ethermel muttered, as if it was the simplest thing in the world. He had been blessed with magical power, sure, but once one had a basic amount of control over what they'd been gifted, it was difficult to tighten one's grip. It took sorcerers decades, centuries even, to become masters of their art. Ethramel might have been further along if he hadn't spent his youth drinking and whoring and running, but what use was it to dwell on the failings of the past? Well, wandering sure won't do you any good, Ethramel thought, but wandering was all he knew. And besides, where would he go? Back to his home of Doblathana? To serve Duchess Francesca Findebear and hope she'll pass some of her knowledge on? That sorceress sold her elven people out after the last war, and Ethramel saw no reason why she would help him. In returning would do little but remind Ethramel of the Doblathana of his childhood, the Valley of the Flowers before Dwan had ever stepped foot there. Where then? Ethramel didn't know. He rubbed his temples. He needed a drink. He made his way towards the inn when a merchant's cart caught his eye. He had missed it on his first few revolutions around the circular quarter, but now it stood out as clear as a bug in a glass of water. 
The cart carried stacks upon stacks of books, so many that the sorcerer feared the cart would collapse under the weight of it. An old woman sat against the book cart, snoring softly. Her eyes snapped open when Ethramel approached, and she hopped to her feet. She couldn't have been more than five feet tall. She adjusted her straw hat quickly and said, Hail, Master Elf. Hail, Master Bookseller. Fine day, is it not? Hard to say. The bookseller looked around at the cavernous mountain. Difficult even to tell what time of day it is when there's no sun to go by. How can I help you? Got any books on fishing? Got a few, I... One moment while I fetch them. Ethramel inspected the stacks when the bookseller turned her back. Most were old and dusty tomes with faded writing on the spines. One caught his eye, however. It was a thin volume. Its leather-bound spine was cracked nearly beyond repair, but he could make out the title well enough. History of the Arcane on the Continent. The book's spine listed no author. Here we are, Master Elf, the bookseller chirped. She held out three small books. Got Angling and Patience by Reddick Ernamon, A Definitive Guide to Fish of the Great Sea by Helmi Bailma's Daughter, and The Lake of My Dreams by someone called the Fisher King. A presumptuous name, if I do say so myself. Ethramel looked the books over with as much interest as a cat near an inkpot and parchment, but added a few others to the pile, including History of the Arcane. How much for the lot? I'll let them all go for twelve crowns. Ethramel handed the woman twelve crowns and took the books in return. Best of luck with your trade. And you with yours. Fishing, is it? That's right. Fishing. Ethramel returned to his room at the inn and tossed the fishing books aside. He started flipping through History of the Arcane on the Continent, which similarly did not list an author on the title page. It was broad in scope, and the opening chapter discussed how elves were the only beings gifted with power in the beginning. Their elder race companions, dwarves and gnomes, didn't appear to have this skill. Neither did the Dwan when they first arrived on the shores of the continent, but they appeared to show promise, and so the elves taught them what they knew. The biggest mistake we ever made, Ethermel thought. When the Unsaid first taught the power to humans, it was as water coming down from the sky, to turn the dirt into mud. Ethermel knew this tragic history all too well, and continued flipping through the pages. He stopped on a chapter about magical artifacts, or rather, magical artifacts rumored to exist across the continent. Ethermel didn't need to be a historian to see that this book was at least a century old, so he didn't put much stock in these rumors. Still, a passage regarding something called the Mare Stone caught his attention. The Mare Stone is believed to be found deep in the bowels of the mountain, the book read. Not surprisingly, it was the dwarves and gnomes who first discovered this artifact. It is described as a small, flat stone, the size of a dwarven palm. It is dull gray in color and unremarkable in disposition. It is theorized that this stone is a nexus for power, and can be used to draw and amplify power around it, not unlike a portable ley line. The Mare Stone has been rumored to grant this power even to dwarves, and it is believed to be the basis of the magical runes used by dwarves and gnomes even to this day. A stone that enhanced one's power? The idea certainly intrigued Ethramel. He sat in his bed for some time, thinking, he felt aimless. Ethermel stored the book away and went downstairs to the tavern. He heard Zevo's rumbling and slurred voice before he saw him. Sure enough, the witcher was drinking with a woman who had her feet kicked up on a table, littered with a surprising amount of empty dwarven pints. The woman laughed and ordered another round. Ethermel ordered a drink and joined Zevo and the woman at their table to unwind a little. He felt he deserved that at least.
That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.